Our scripture reading this morning is Luke 8, verses 40 through 48. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they had been waiting for him. A man named Jairus, who was a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet. He pleaded with Jesus to come to his house because his only daughter, a 12-year-old, was dying. As Jesus moved forward, he faced smothering crowds. A woman was there who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had spent her entire livelihood on doctors, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the hem of his clothes, and at once her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When everyone denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are surrounding you and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. <laughs> when the woman saw that she could not escape notice, she came trembling and fell before Jesus. In front of everyone, she explained why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Daughter, your faith has healed you, Jesus said. Go in peace. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. You are amazing, God, and sometimes we forget. So remind us anew how close you are to our touch and how instantaneously you respond. May you be glorified through the ministry of the lives of these people listening to your scripture. Amen. This passage is about someone whom the community had learned to ignore, avoid, and she was shunned. But she, whom Jesus saw as a treasure, did not give up. Kelly preached on this lesson during Lent this year, and she and I talked about, do you think it's worthy of revisiting? And we both agreed this story could be told multiple times. It is a story within a story about a forgotten woman but it begins with a 12-year-old child dying. We do not see her, and our story is not going to include her healing, but it is there if you want to continue reading after verse 48. The story does not begin with the young girl. It begins with a father and the cry of a very powerful man. His cry, my daughter, hear the terror in his voice, the last ditch grasp 
of hope slipping through his fingers for the one he loves. Here, his love swallowed up in fear and dread. My daughter! Imagine him pointing in the direction of his home as an appeal to bring Jesus with him. He wants Jesus at her side. The girl is invisible to us, but he is present. She is present with her father. And the crowd, hearing his cry, knowing the situation as community does, they too were very present with the boldness of his desperate cry. Not only in his voice, but in his mind, in his heart, he had one concern, his daughter. The father's name is Jairus. He is a prominent leader in town. His social standing is not only high, but his influence, his influence is secure. To be able to cry to a rabbi, my daughter, is all that is necessary for a powerful man. Now at his command, he had already had the best medical advice and options, yet now he stands in public and approaches one not really well-known rabbi named Jesus in his powerlessness. My daughter, he cries, come lay your hands on my daughter. Touch her and she will live. It's a risky thing this synagogue leader is doing because by approaching Jesus of Nazareth, in public, he is breaking continuity with his own colleagues. He is breaking conventionality. He is putting himself at risk to save his beloved daughter. As a synagogue leader, his colleagues are going to be frowning on his desperate cry to this itinerant rabbi named Jesus with his questionable teaching about the form of alternative medicine, about how scripture is understood, about who you eat with Jesus was objectionable to his colleagues. And by calling to Jesus, so was he. Did he care? No. Why? It's his daughter. He'll do anything for his, my daughter. The father is abandoning personal risk and throws himself in supplication, not eye to eye to Jesus, but on his knees in front of Jesus of Nazareth, who in his instantaneous compassion and willingness to heal, helps Jairus stand back up, lead me to your home. My daughter, is going to have a healer, he thinks to himself as he moves with Jesus and the crowd follows to his home. And then the story becomes interrupted. Now let's come back to his, my daughter, 12 years old. She's but 
a young girl, oh, actually a woman for this society, but 12 years for a child is like a drop in the bucket to a father, to a mother, to a parent. And Jesus hears this, knows this, he's on a mission, he's going to Jairus' house. Jairus has only one thought in his mind, which is my daughter. And someone, something happens on the way to Jairus' house. The girl who had been only alive for 12 years, that 12 years is the exact same amount of time as another daughter had been suffering from an ailment. In those 12 years, one girl flourished until a day or two ago, and one nameless woman languished. Luke, in telling the stories, bringing these two 12 years of experience together, flourishing, languishing. Both are called my daughter by someone. And at this point, these two stories intersect. The nameless woman was once upon a time, an important woman. She had been known, she had been loved, she had been appreciated, and she once had been a woman of means. Jairus' daughter was also loved and appreciated and known. We don't know her name either. They are both my daughters. So, the woman that we're going to fo focus on, she had then become forgotten because of her ailment. She became invisible to society, but never to God. For the 12 years this woman had suffered, she was never forgotten by God. She had suffered so much. She had seen physician after physician, some who made her worse, some who gave up hope on her. And then the process of seeking this, um, medical healing, she lost everything she had. She must have once been a woman of means to be able to consult physician after physician. And then she lost her fortune. Was it just on physicians? Was it because she had been abandoned? We don't know, but she comes nameless and penniless and resourceless. This woman is not presented with a father pleading for her, pleading her case, saying, my daughter, she's alone. There is nobody at her side. I do wonder where her family might be as we meet her right here. Anybody would stand with her? Not in this story. Did they desert her because of her affliction? Was she ever married? Did she fail to have children because of the affliction and therefore the husband let her be? Did he call her a failure because she did not have children? Were there children who then denied her because of her affliction? How many refusals and rejections in, the, in her life has this one woman endured? And yet she comes looking for healing 
for the one known to be a man of God. It was the custom of this time, and so society cannot be faulted, it was the custom of this time that when a person had a prolonged ailment, they needed to be removed from community. And it was a measure of keeping the community safe and healthy, as you all know too well after the pandemic. So the community had a law from the very beginning with Moses that those who are not well have to be separated for the community's behalf. That was understood. Until, and here's the important word, that word until, until the person, the people, were able to receive healing, purification, and then be rejoined to community. The solitary daughter had not received healing no matter how hard she tried, and obviously she did. She was ritually unclean and therefore kept in 12 years of isolation. Anybody here want to do what she has done? No. She could not participate in synagogue. She could not go to worship. She could not associate with the community that she is watching probably with her back plastered to a wall, watching this community surrounding Jairus, hearing his cry and ignoring hers. But it was part of the community to separate. But after 12 years, you just start taking that separation and you crown someone with it. She had not been touched by anyone. No hugs, no handshakes, no encouraging pat on the shoulder for over a decade. Yet does she still know how to hope? Yes. She was ostracized, hearing on far too many occasions that dreaded three-peat. Unclean, unclean, unclean. Now this was a social word to let people know that somebody who was not supposed to be with the community is over there, don't get near them. It's kind of a pointing word, don't go by them. You don't want to be one of them. Unclean. After 12 years, she knew jolly well how to walk around the edges of society in the margins not only unclean, but unnamed, unwanted. Her expectations were low, because when your expectations are low, denial is easier to handle. Acceptance is easier when you're that low. She became the unnamed. After all, in the story, she's the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment. Her name, daughter, was, daughter of Israel, was replaced with the stigma of shame. And she remained on the outskirts. But she remembered God. And I wonder if she knew that God remembered her. Now she had heard of Jesus of Nazareth or she would not have been in along the walls of that community. She would not have even dared to come close to the community. So she had heard of Jesus. She knew of his healings, the miracles, 
the people who had been touched and changed, the lame, the blind, the poor, the hungry, and she thought to herself, I think I, think I might be one of those. Though her faith was probably not standout obvious, because actually scripture gives names to people who have faith that are standout obvious, but probably none of us are standout obvious either, but our faith is strong enough to say, Lord, I need to touch you. Just, just a tiny bit, just a little bit of your, your garment, please. So perhaps her faith was only the size of a mustard seed, and you know what that can do. She had just enough faith to wonder, what, what would happen if I, with nobody watching, nobody caring, slipped unnoticed and just touched the hem of his garment. I don't have to interrupt anybody. I don't have to make a scene. I can just sneak in and silently touch. Who would know? Nobody knows me anybody, anyway. Nobody sees me anyway. They're not going to notice. I've been invisible to them. And this right now is an advantage. Who will notice me if I just hang out as a wallflower in the background? No need to draw attention. Certainly not to those disciples and their tongues. All I have to do, she made a plan. Staying out of sight, she let the crowd go by, following Jairus, following Jesus, they were distracted. Their attention was on healing Jairus' beloved daughter. And while they were distracted, she decided this is just the moment. The crowd, talking amongst themselves, was no longer paying attention to anybody who did or did not join the throng. So somehow she stealthily moves through the crowd into a gap, careful to touch no one, because she doesn't want to draw herself into anybody's attention. She bends down, leans as far forward as she can, and touches Jesus' garment. And instantly she knows she is healed and she wants no recognition, so she probably crumbles into a ball and lets them move forward beyond her, not even noticing. There, she said, I did it. She knew it. Instantaneously she knew it. She was healed, she could feel the change. She was healed, finally, just what she had been hoping for. And as the crowd moved away, she gave silent thanks. It was finished, God heard her prayer, God healed her, nobody noticed she had not made any mistakes, she had risked, she had been rewarded. Nothing bad had happened, and she's just there absolutely relishing the moment until. Who touched me? Everybody freezes. Who touched you? Peter, of course, asks, are you kidding? The, the crowd is thronging around you on every single side, and you ask, who touched me? 
She stayed put. Probably head down. Why? Because if you don't see somebody, they aren't there. It's an age-old practice, and your children are not the only ones that practice that one. But knowing she had been found out, she remained silent, I presume, hoping that Jesus would change mind, listen to Peter's wisdom, and just carry on. After all, there's a 12-year-old who needs him. Who touched me? Jesus asked. And in fear and trepidation, no doubt, she unfolds and comes before him, looks up with her shy eyes, and who's staring right at her with eyes that are smiling? Perhaps she's afraid that Jesus is angry after all, even touching his garment is totally against the rules, against the law. She knew she was ritually unclean. That had been stated for 12 years. She was the outcast who interrupted an important mission to Jairus' house, and she interrupted the great rabbi Jesus, the healer son of God. And there's no way Jairus is going to be happy about Jesus stopping and turning around and saying, who touched me? Yet in her heart, though she heard this voice in her heart, she was bubbling with joy because she knew her only goal had been to be healed, and she was she looked up and saw those smiling eyes. Where was the judgmentalism she was expecting? Those eyes who held the creator's knowledge, the, who created the first stars, the sun, the moon, the flowing rivers, the eyes of profound and holy compassion. Those were the eyes of Jesus? All she wanted was the hem of his garment. Never dreamed of seeing those eyes. Eyes of a father looking at a child. Though in earthly years she's older than Jesus, he's loving her already. For Jesus only sees a fragile and rejected daughter. Jesus stills the crowd and speaks directly with her. Who touched me? Though she has not yet spoken a word, Jesus already knows the details, every detail of her story, her suffering, the 12 years of rejection, the humiliation caused by the community surrounding him and walking to Jairus' house. And he knew she considered herself invisible. And what does he do with that? He smiles at her, trying to rebuild her sense of who she is. He smiled at her. What does a smile do to somebody? It makes them feel like a human. Who touched me is an invitation. And she is able to stand up and fall as Jairus did onto her knees in front of him. 
She tells the story, he already knows because we need to know what the story is as well. Jesus did not leave the healing there. He gives her a second healing. He could have left her alone. He could have left her be one of the invisible ones and just grant her the healing she requested. But he wanted her to know that there was so much more that she should consider possible to her. So he personally identifies her in the crowd by calling out, who touched me? And he gives her a name, not a proper name, but the name, my daughter. He calls her daughter. Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And he blesses her with a go in peace. And what does that peace look like when the Son of God gives you a familial name of daughter? Now remember, there's a crowd. This is Jairus's crowd, Jairus's friends, the disciples, and Jesus renames this woman that they knew was not supposed to be here according to their customs. He shatters their customs and calls her a my daughter. He claims her as one of his own. The word daughter with a family, with affection, with caring, with protection. The same word Jairus cried out, my daughter belongs to this woman right here, and Jesus gives it to her. One who is loved by an advocate named Jesus. The entire crowd witnessed this. And he was putting his entire reputation on her. You have rejected her. And I call her daughter. What are you going to do now? And she's healed. So your rejection has no basis. In the second healing, Jesus restores her to society. She never dreamed that was possible. She can go to worship. She can work with the community now. She no longer has to hide in the background or along the wall. Jesus continued as, you know the story. We didn't read it, but you know the story. He went to Jairus' house. He takes her hand, and she rises. A 12-year-old and a woman with an ailment for 12 years old, both changed by the touch of Jesus, the word of Jesus. A woman who had nothing to lose because she had already lost it all, simply touched the hem of Jesus' garment. Did he notice? You're supposed to nod your head yes. Yeah, Jesus noticed. When you reach up in prayer and say, I need, I just need a touch, what will our God do? Notice? Yeah. A powerful man, a powerless woman, share the same touch from Jesus. Two, my daughters. One, the synagogue leaders. The other, Jesus named my daughter. They both receive a healing. They both had to take huge risks. 
And this is Jesus' challenge to the crowd that he does not name or even acknowledge. So if you think about it, here's a reversal. The crowd is invisible to Jesus because he sees the two, not four, the two who need a healing. The crowd becomes invisible. So what is Jesus' challenge to the crowd? You have called her invisible. I call her my daughter. And she is alive and well, just like Jairus's my daughter became alive and well. So the question to us, whom do we call invisible? Does God? Amen.